Welcome to Christian Assembly, a family church. Since 1930, we've been serving the communities of Western Pennsylvania, Ohio, and West Virginia with the good news of Jesus Christ. With over 40 years of Bible teaching and ministry experience, Pastor Bill brings faith-filled revelation from God's Word. We believe with you, wherever you are, that God will inspire and change your life through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly, follow us on social media or visit our website at cafamily.net. little format change here tonight. We're just going to get right into the Word of God and uh, share some things with you that are important. But once again, what's so important is the fact that we want experienced reality. We don't want just education or information. We want experienced reality. We want the Spirit of God to take these truths and build them into our hearts and lives so that we can experience Jehovah Rapha, indeed the Lord physician, our great healer. So let's begin I'm not going to read all these scriptures. We're not going to put the scriptures up. You can look, look at them at another time. I may just, you know, talk about them. But the, the point is, the scriptures are there for you to look at. And what your desire is to experience the reality of what you're hearing. So first of all, in Hosea 4, 6, we are told that God's people perish not for lack of singing. Not for lack of singing. We can sing to our heart's content. That's your first word, by the way, if you're, if you're taking notes, if you want to write it down there. It's not for lack of singing, it's not for lack of praying, giving, or prophesying, but for lack of what? Lack of knowledge. It's important that we get the knowledge that we need. And that, once again, you've heard me express time and time again, it means to enter into, not just to know it intellectually, but to enter into it in experienced reality. It's like being zapped with the electrical outlet and you get you know once again you, you you experience it you're one with it so that's what he's talking about so inspiration as wonderful as it may be and that's your next word inspiration is wonderful we all need to be inspired right and that's a great thing but without knowledge you know what happens we can be deceived we can be deceived if we don't have the right kind of knowledge and for example the apostle paul in romans chapter 10 talked about israel and his desire for Israel that w- would be that all of them be saved. He said they have a zeal of God, but not according to what? Not according to knowledge. And so your other word was deceived. But over here, if we don't have the right knowledge that we need, then our zeal for God can be misdirected, is your next word. It could be misdirected. Here, they had a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. And so they were pursuing God, but not the right way. Paul himself, we know, was pursuing God, but not the right way. Remember, he was zealous to destroy Christianity, thinking he was doing God the greatest service that he could possibly do. And what happened to him? He saw Jesus, and when he got the knowledge of Jesus on the Damascus Road, he entered into a revelation of who Jesus really is. And he stopped what he was doing and properly directed his zeal. And what did he do? He wrote more than half of the New Testament. Praise God. So once again, it's important that we have the right kind of knowledge because without it, our zeal for God can be misdirected and we don't want that. Okay, so what I put together here tonight is, I think, I believe, foundational truths that we all should embrace. Once again, it's one thing to learn how to receive from God and that's important. We can believe that we receive from God. That is so tremendously important. Why? Because everything that God has given must be received. It's not automatically manifested in anyone's life. For example, God so loved the world that he did what? He gave his only begotten son. Has everybody received Christ? No. So it's not a matter of God giving. 
It's a matter of our receiving. In Christ, he sees everybody healed. So it's up to us to receive healing. Sometimes people will say, I wonder why God didn't heal so-and-so. That's not the right way to talk. It's, I wonder why so-and-so didn't receive their healing. Big difference between the two. Why didn't so-and-so receive Jesus as Lord and Savior of their life? Because maybe they didn't want to because they were doing okay by themselves. And people are like that. No, I want to, I want to govern my own life. Well, they didn't receive Christ as a result. Not that God didn't give him. God gave every good and perfect gift from above. God has given freely to all men things to enjoy. It's up to us to receive by faith the things that God has given us. And we've got to have a foundation in order for us to receive from God. And these are foundational truths, I believe, that are extremely important. And once you get these as a part of your foundation, it makes it easier for us to use our faith to receive from God. Because it answers a lot of questions that people have. So number one, this is God's view of sickness. I need to know what God thinks about sickness. What's his view of sickness? Well, number one, your first word there, it is a curse. It is an absolute curse. In the book of Deuteronomy, we're told in chapter 28 and verse 15, if you don't hearken diligently to the voice of the Lord your God and observe to do all the things that he commanded them to do, then all these curses shall come upon you. And all these curses of course, include all sickness and all disease. Those that are named or unnamed, those that are written or unwritten, those that are known or unknown are all a curse of the law. So we need to know that. God does not view sickness as a blessing. He, he views it as a curse, a curse that we've been redeemed from. You missed a good time to shout. <laughs> you and I have been redeemed from the curse of... Of the law that includes every sickness and every disease, known unknown, name unnamed, written unwritten. We've been redeemed from every one of us. And where do we find that? Galatians chapter 3 verses 13 and 14. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law by being made a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ. That we might receive the promise of the Spirit. How? Through Faith, And if you be Christ, in verse 29, you're Abraham's seed and you're an heir according to the promise. So Christ redeemed us from the curse of every sickness and every disease, be it named or unnamed, known or unknown, written or unwritten. And in that book of the law, Deuteronomy 28, from 15 right on through 61, it says every sickness and every disease, whether it's known or unknown, we've been redeemed from. That's a good thing to know, isn't it? Say it with me. I've been redeemed. From all sickness and disease. Because of Jesus. Absolutely. Number two. This is God's view of sickness. This is how he sees it. It is a captivity. It's a captivity. That's exactly what he, it is. And that's exactly how he sees it. In Job chapter 42 and verse 10. It says God turned Job's captivity. Remember he had all those boils and he was suffering immensely. Immense pain and everything. His wife even said, why don't you just curse God and die? He said, no, nah, no. Nah. Even if he would slay me, I would, I'd still serve him. Of course, we know God doesn't do that. But, but the point is, it was a captivity. This is someone who is captive by a sickness or a disease. So once again, it's not a good thing whatsoever. It is a captivity that we've been delivered from. Luke's Gospel, chapter 4, in verse 18, what does it say? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Preach deliverance to the captives. It's a captivity that we've been redeemed from. Praise God. Say it with me. I am redeemed, I am redeemed 
and delivered from every captivity. See, it's all because of Jesus we've been delivered from the captivities. Thank God for it. We're delivered from it. Now, the next one, number three, is destruction. He views it as a destruction. Psalm 107, verse 20, tells us. Fools, because of what they've done, they opened up the door to, let's say, sickness and disease and even death in their lives. They've opened the door to it. They fall to that place of almost dying. But he sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their what? Destruction. So it is a destruction. It's a destruction uh, that we've been redeemed from. Look at Psalm 103 and verse 4, I believe it is. What does it tell us? He redeems our lives from destruction. So it's a destruction. It is a curse, a captivity. It's a destruction that you and I have been redeemed from. Aren't you glad to know that? These are foundational truths that help us build faith and build a relationship with God. Because Amos 3.3 says, how can two walk together except what? They be agreed. We've got to agree. We've got to say... No matter how I feel, it's a curse. It's a curse. It's a captivity. It's a destruction. No matter what. That's God's view of sickness. That's my view of sickness. There's no good thing to it. Okay, look at the next one. Oppression. In Acts 10.38, it's an oppression. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil for God was with him so now we see it is a satanic oppression in a person's life there's nothing good about it it's evil it's destructive it's a curse nothing good at all well it's an oppression that the Godhead dealt with think about that how God the Father anointed Jesus the Son with the Holy Ghost and power all three of the Godhead, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. Thank God. Thank God the Godhead dealt with sickness and disease in that manner. Now, that doesn't mean Satan is right there enforcing a person's sickness or disease. What it means is because of the fall of man from the very beginning, the door was open to all three rounds of destruction, spiritually, emotionally, and also physically. We understand that. So when Jesus was asked the question, who sinned that this man was born blind? He didn't say the father and the mother. He didn't say him. No. He said, I've got to work the works of God while I'm here on this earth. What was he saying? Because of the fall of man, there are birth defects. There's germs, bacteria. There's all kinds of things that we face in life like COVID-19 and everything else. Why? Because we're living in a fallen state. We're living in a fallen world. And so we need to view, whether it's COVID-19, whether it's any of these other sicknesses and diseases that we are confronted with every day, as something that God dealt with, praise God, when he sent Jesus here to the earth. And aren't you glad that when he walked upon this earth, he demonstrated that compassion that God has for hurting humanity? Everywhere he went, praise God, he healed everyone. There's not one person. Not one person that came into contact with Jesus when he walked on the earth with any amount of faith that he didn't heal. They were all healed. Not one person was left without healing and help from God. That's the kind of mentality that we've got to have. Look at the next one. It is a languishing. In the book of Psalms, 
41, in the first three verses, it talks about God will raise us off the bed of languishing and make help us make our bed in all our sickness. So once again, he sees it as a bed of languishing. Anyone like being in bed, being sick? Being under some oppressive spirit or pain in your body? No one likes that. God views it the same way. It's a bed of languishing that I want to get you up off from and off of. So we need to have that same mentality, the same view that God has of sickness and disease if we're going to have the kind of faith that we need. God wants to raise us up. Praise God. That's exactly what his motivation is. Because of his love for us, he wants us well. But look at this next one because this here is really important. It is also a judgment. Now here's where it gets a little bit tricky. Remember, God hates sickness and disease like he hates sin. It is evil, destructive, it's a curse, it's a captivity, it hurts mankind, it is a languishing, okay? But you will notice that this man who was a believer in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 4 and 5, it talks about Paul saying, I've already judged in this matter that you should turn this man over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. It is a judgment. It is a judgment in some cases. So this isn't God behind it. This is someone who refused to listen to the truth, who refused to repent and get right with God. And so Paul said, turn him over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. Why? That his spirit might be saved in the day of the Lord. What's God saying? Your spiritual condition is more important than your physical condition. If you staying alive means you're going to be lost and go to hell, he'd rather see you die of some sickness or disease because he knows whether or not you're going to turn. And so he says, if he's not going to listen to reason, then just remove your hand from him. Turn him over to Satan. And you know what? This man was living in immorality. He was living with his stepmother. His father was still alive. And so you can only imagine that scenario. And he wasn't willing to give her up and do the right thing. So what happened? Because he's in this state of mind. He's not going to change from that state of mind. God says, turn his body over to Satan. Guess what? It's no longer any more fun when you're lying on a deathbed. No matter what you might consider fun in this realm of life that we live in, it's not fun when you're lying on a deathbed, is it? And the end of the story is simple. The man repented, got right with God, God healed him, and he got back into the church. That was the goal of it. But remember, he would have never had that kind of judgment had he not opened up the door to judgment. Remember what David did when he killed Bathsheba's husband, Uriah? What happened to him? He was judged. Nathan came along and said, Thus saith the Lord, pronounced judgment upon his life that was unconditional, could not change it as a result of what he had done. Now, if he would have repented before that, then he could have stopped it. He could have uprooted the judgment. The judgment would have never fallen upon him. For example, remember Hezekiah? When uh, he was told by the prophet Isaiah, you might as well get your house in order because you're going to die. Right? But what did he do? He repented with tears, turned his face to the wall, and closed the door to judgment, uprooted that before it ever was pronounced upon him. As a result, God gave him 15 more years of life. So once again, it's important that we view sickness and disease the way God views sickness and disease. And really, if we're supposed to abhor what is evil and cleave to what is good, we should view it as evil. 
sickness and disease is evil. Would you agree with me? There's nothing good about it. God wasn't doing good. Jesus wasn't doing good. Healing all the oppressed of the devil. It's all demonic. It's all evil. It's from the realms of darkness. It's not from the things of God. Every good and perfect gift comes down from above, but not this evil stuff. But if he has to use it as judgment, that's a different story. Now, we can avoid judgment, right? It's up to us to make a decision that we're going to avoid that by repenting, humbling ourselves, and doing what we need to do. Now, we shift over from God's view of sickness, and I pray, I, I pray that I painted somewhat of a picture that you can see how much he detests sickness and disease. Matter of fact, if you walk through the Gospels with Jesus, go right on through the Gospels. He detested sickness and disease. He couldn't stomach it. I believe that he was so vehemently opposed to it that everywhere he went, if he found anybody, he delivered them and set them free. I don't even think he asked them whether or not they understood Mark eleven twenty four, or 23, or 1 Peter 2, 24, or Matthew 8, 16 and 17. They didn't have to. No, he was just ready to go, man. He had his sleeves rolled up, and he was trying to find somebody just to loose and set free. Remember the madman of Gadar? We call him the madman of Gadar who was demon-possessed with all these legion of demons. He comes running to Jesus, and Jesus liberated him and set him free. That's what God, that's what God is all about. And once again, to have faith, we've got to see it the same way he does. Why is that so important? I'll be honest with you. In our humanness, sometimes you might agree with me on this one. Sometimes, especially men, I don't feel well, honey. Make me a cup of tea. And you love the attention that you get when you don't feel well by your spouse, your mate, or whoever, a family member, your parent, or whatever. You know, we should be like, this thing get off of me in the name of Jesus Christ. I'm not soothing you. I'm not entertaining you. I don't want you in my body. I don't want you in my life. Get out in the name above every name, the name of Jesus. We need to be vehemently opposed to it like Jesus was. All right, next view. God's view of healing. This is God's view. And I do want to go over some of these scriptures. God's view of healing is just wonderful. How he feels about healing. In Luke's gospel, chapter 14, your first word, it is a rescue. That's how he sees it. A rescue. Chapter 14, and beginning at verse 1. All right, it says... It came to pass as he went into the house of one of the chief Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath day that they watched him. Think about that. Watching every move he made. And behold, there was a certain man before him with which had the dropsy. And Jesus answering spake unto the lawyers and Pharisees saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath day? Now we're used to them asking Jesus questions. And now Jesus asks them a pointed question. Is it lawful? You're the ones that should know to heal on the Sabbath day. And they held their peace. And he took him and healed him and let him go. They didn't want to say anything because they didn't want to obviously get themselves in trouble. Or show themselves to be foolish. And he answered them saying... Which of you shall have an ass or an ox fallen into a pit and will not straightway pull him out on the Sabbath day? And they could not answer him again to these things. Notice how he compares it. If you have an animal that falls into a pit on the Sabbath day, 
You mean to tell me you can't use common sense and realize that God was not saying you can't save that life, can't pull that animal out? It is a rescue. It's okay to rescue someone that's hurting, someone that's in danger. So what's he saying? For me to heal this guy on the Sabbath day is perfectly lawful. This is where, you know, that rules are made. We understand that. But there are exceptions to the rule. We understand that as well. We're living in an imperfect world, so it's not going to be perfect. But Jesus was trying to tell these people to open up their eyes and say, look, the law is written for a reason, but use some common sense here. It's a rescue. So if someone's sick, guess what? You need rescued. We all need rescue. And God views it as someone who is in need of being rescued one way or another. Look at the next word. And uh, the next one is the necessity. Look at chapter 13, beginning at verse 10. It is a necessity. This is the woman that was uh, bowed over for all these years. Look at beginning at verse 10. He was teaching in the synagogue, one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, once again, it's a Sabbath day. Behold, there was a woman which had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bowed together and could in no wise lift up herself. And when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said, Woman, thou art loosed from thine infirmity. And he laid his hands on her and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. And the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation because that Jesus had healed on the Sabbath day. What a shame. And said to the people, there are six days in which men ought to work. So pious. Yeah, really. Yeah. So self-righteous. There are six days in which men ought to work. And in them, therefore, come and be healed and not on the Sabbath day. The letter of the law. The Lord answered and said to him, I'm sorry. I didn't mean, you know, to ruffle your feathers. No, he said, you hypocrite. Wow, pretty strong terminology, wouldn't you say? He didn't pull any punches with these people, did he? You hypocrite. Does not each one of you on the Sabbath day loose his ox or his ass from the stall and lead him away to watering it? Ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan had bound, loose these, lo, these 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? And when he had said these things, all his adversaries were ashamed and all the people rejoiced for all the glorious things that were done uh, by him. So this is something that was, as far as he was concerned, a necessity, not a luxury, a necessity. This woman ought to be free. This woman ought to be For 18 years, you had all this time. If you wanted to perform some kind of a miracle six days a week like you're talking about, you could have done it over 18 years. You haven't done it. But you're going to criticize me on the Sabbath day because this woman who is a daughter of Abraham. You're talking about the Mosaic law. She's a daughter of Abraham, which means she's a daughter of the covenant, a child of the covenant. And she ought to be whole. To stand up, to see once again people face to face, eyeball to eyeball, and not be in that awful position that she was in. As far as he's concerned, healing is a rescue. Healing is a necessity. The next one, healing is a benefit. A benefit of the contract or the covenant that we have with the living God. In Psalm 103, you know the verses. He forgives all our sins. He heals all our diseases, right? These are called benefits. Forget none of his benefits. And a benefit is a condition of a contract. And this is what's important. 
We need to recognize that this isn't some haphazard covenant relationship that we have with God. It's not something that we fabricated or we made up on our own. It's not something that we devised ourselves on this end of heaven, on this side of heaven. No. God the Father and God the Son got together as covenant heads. And they negotiated the terms of the agreement, the terms of the covenant. And so everything that was established and everything that was said and all that was done was done with intelligence and understanding of what needed to be done to enforce it. Jesus knew to enforce this covenant of healing, he would have to go and bear the stripes upon his back and offer up his body as a sacrifice for humanity to be healed. He knew that. And he negotiated the father with that. And if you recall, when he was even in the garden, when he was sweating out as if it were blood, and he said, Father, if you'd be willing to this, this cup to pass from me, but I know it can't be done. I've got to do it your way. So you can imagine the negotiation that took place. You can imagine how this was weighing on his soul. You can imagine what he had to go through and what he knew he had to go through, but yet he didn't say no. I'll take whether they were 39 or more you know, slashes on my back with that cat and nine tails, I'll take them. But I want you to know, Father, once I take them, by my stripes, they are healed. By my stripes, they are whole. Heaven is open. Praise God. Heaven is open. And God, by His Spirit, pouring out that which takes these truths and makes them realities in our lives. Once again, God wants us to get to the place that we press in and say, Now, you know what, Lord? That's not manifesting in my life. Well, you know what? I'm not going to sit back and let the devil talk me out of what belongs to me. I'm going to press into you. I'm going to press into your presence. I'm going to stand before your throne. I'm going to be like Smith Wigglesworth who had an anger issue and said, I'm not leaving this room as an angry person. I will stay here, pray in the Holy Ghost until this place is flooded with the glory of Almighty God and I am changed from the inside out. And you know what? That's exactly what he did. And guess what? He came out no longer having an anger issue. See, once again, I understand there's a need for all things. And thank God we can have altar calls and we can lay hands on people. There's an impartation of the power of God. And that's wonderful. We need that. It helps us along the way. But there is nothing more important than to walking into your prayer closet and shutting your door behind you and just saying, Father, here I am. Take me. Make me. Mold me. Change me. Transform me. Take this, this truth and make it a reality in my life. I don't want it to be something that's educational. I want it to be something that's experiential. I want to experience the glory of what Jesus died for. That's what I long for, to be changed by it. And so once again, we see you know, how God views it. It's a benefit. It's a covenant right. Look at uh, Matthew 15 and verse 26. Well, you don't have to turn to it if you don't want to. I'll just give it to you. Remember when, when um, this Syrophoenician woman was there and asked for help for her daughter that was demon-possessed? And, of course, the disciples said, shoo her away. Wanted to get rid of her, get her out of here. We don't want her here. She's bothering us and all that. And she cried out to the master and said, Master, to Jesus, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. She's crying out to him. And, of course, he says, well, look. 
It's not right for me to give the children's bread. That's covenant talk. To dogs. You can only imagine how that impacted her as it hit her square between the eyes. You calling me a dog? Hmm, really? You calling me a dog? You know, they may, may be fighting words with somebody else, but as far as she was concerned, that's okay. I don't want the children's bread. Because you see, the loaf of bread is made of certain ingredients. And everything in that loaf of bread is all together as one. If a crumb falls from the table, the dogs can lick up, eat the food or whatever the crumb is. And there's every ingredient in that crumb as in the whole loaf. So just give me the crumb. I'm happy. And what did Jesus say to her? Oh, woman, great is your faith. Think about that. What a powerful statement. He marveled at her faith. He marveled at the faith of the Syrophant, I mean, as the Roman centurion as well. And he marveled at the unbelief of his own people. Think about that. He could there do no mighty works because of their unbelief. But you, you've got a Syrophoenician woman, a woman of Canaan. You know, you've got a Roman centurion. And they both come to Jesus with a, a kind of faith that moves mountains. That brings deliverance. That brings healing. What a powerful thing for Jesus to say, woman, great is your faith. Because why? She didn't have any access to get that kind of great faith. She didn't have a covenant right. She didn't have anything like that. She didn't have uh, the scripture. She didn't have uh, you know, a family right or a privilege. No. She was an outsider. But man, when she said that, Jesus honored her common sense Knowledge. You know what he was, she was saying? I've got a revelation that you're better than that. You may not have come for the Gentiles, but man, I'm a human being. I am a human being. All I want is a crumb from you. That's humility. And what happened? He lifted her up. Her daughter was healed. In the, when she went home, she had, an insane, she had an insane daughter that became sane and free from demons. So it's a covenant right. Uh, five, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. Jesus, once again, this is in Mark's gospel. You can see it in chapter three. Uh, he's once again on the Sabbath day, I believe this occurred. Is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath day or to do evil? Answer. I'm sure that they had a shudder when Jesus would ask them questions. Probably shaking in their boots when he asked them questions. Like, um, how do we answer this guy? Oh my goodness. No one's, ever, no one's ever posed that to us ever before. Well, is it lawful? Tell me. Is it lawful? Because you know they're not going to say, yes, it's lawful because they don't believe it. Because they want to keep the law. They don't want to get themselves in trouble. But then again, they know he's smart. And they don't want to do anything to show how foolish they could possibly be. He doesn't even wait for an answer. Just stretch forth your hand. Stretch forth your hand. Notice it was a good thing. To do a good thing. A good thing. So healing is something that is good. He views it as good. In Acts 10 38, we already read that, where we quoted that and said, He went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. So is healing a good thing? Absolutely. So when it comes to healing, he views it as a rescue, a necessity, a benefit, a covenant right, and a good thing. Healing is a good thing. Hallelujah. All right. Now, when it comes to 
revelation that is necessary for us all to have. Because I'll be honest with you, I do believe the biggest drawback that we all have is, in, in, in many cases, I'll just put it that way, many cases, people don't feel like as though that they can achieve it. They don't feel like they're good enough to receive it. They'd rather look for somebody else and maybe help them get to it. But there's not enough confidence in themselves, in their own faith walk, in their belief system. And maybe they feel like as though their conduct, their character, whatever, is holding them back. And maybe they think that, you know, I'm not the worthy one. I'm not the one that God really just wants to look down upon the earth and just say, I'm going to heal you. Which is why I said from the very beginning, as far as he was concerned, anyone who was sick needed healed. Any lamb that falls into a pit needs to be pulled out. Anyone that needs something to drink should be given something to drink. It's a necessity. And that's what he said there in Luke 13. Man, if, you're, if you, you want to lead them to watering what you, on the Sabbath day, what are you going to let them die of uh, either starvation or dehydration? No. That's a necessity. So do what's necessary. Healing is a necessity, not a luxury. And so that's why he said, look, come. Come and receive. All right, so here, point one, under necessary revelation. The Father has no favorites. No favorites. He sees us all the same in Christ. Aren't you glad He sees you in Christ and not in yourself? Not in your flesh? Absolutely. So He has no favorites. He sees every single one of us in this place washed in the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And what that means is we all are on an equal plane. Every single one of us. We could all go to the throne of, of God with the blood of Jesus Christ and just walk right into the presence of the Father and just say, here I am. Here I am. It's not based on my performance. It's not based on your performance. It's based on what Jesus has done for us. And so he, what he did for you, he did for me. It's all the same. It's just a matter of understanding this and having a consciousness of our right standing before God. Because you see, once again, if I cower in fear and back away from the throne of God, you know why I'm doing that? I'm not looking at what he did. I'm looking at myself. I'm looking at my faults, my shortcomings, my failures and all that. Look, I'm just going to throw something out to you and you better shout when you hear this one. <laughs> we all should shout on this one. If Jesus told Peter to forgive your brother 490 times a day and the devil comes up to you and just says, you did that 489 times today. You know what you're supposed to say? I got one more. Knock it off, I'm forgiven. So the thing is, okay, we may war with some things in our lives and it's just because maybe we, it was repetitive, we did it wrong again, maybe I said, I said something I shouldn't have said or whatever, I acted out in a way I shouldn't have acted, here I am, I did it again, God's so disappointed in me and all that. That's exactly what the condemner wants to do to all of us. Condemn us, make us feel insecure, make us feel uh, unworthy. Okay, and so once again, we get before the throne of God and I feel like as though I can't really connect. That's a lie of the devil. If God says for you to forgive someone 490 times a day, how many times do you think he's forgiven you? Right? He said, do as I do, didn't he? Yeah. Love as I've loved you. Forgive as I have forgiven you. Right? Well, then if I'm forgiven the same way I've been forgiven and I'm forgiving then I should be able to receive forgiveness myself from the Lord, right? 
sure, God wants us to be bold to go to the throne. There's only one way to do that, by the blood of Jesus. And that's the only way to do that. So he has no favorites. In John 17, 23, it actually says that I love, show them that I love them as I love you. Or show them that you love them as you love me. So the love that the Father has for us is equal to the love that he had for Jesus when he walked here upon this earth. That's how much he loves every single one of us here. Isn't that good enough? So you see, once again, there are no favorites. We're all the same. Your faith is, is special. Amen. You can reach the throne of God. Point B, we all have the same redemption is your word. We have the same redemption. What's that mean? I haven't been redeemed better than you have been redeemed. The blood of Jesus Christ hasn't cleansed me a little bit better than he cleansed you. We've all been redeemed by the same blood. We all have the same standing before the throne. Aren't you glad to know that? It doesn't matter who the person is, how long they've been in Christ. One who gets saved tonight. Let's say someone at 8 o'clock tonight gets born again. Guess what? They're standing before the throne is just as yours is even if you've been saved for 50 years. They are the righteousness of God in Christ, and it doesn't get better than that. Amen? So we need to know that this is what really builds up our faith and gives us confidence because I'm His favorite because we're all His favorites, and I can stand righteous and holy before the throne of God because it's not based on what I've done. Okay, so we've been redeemed from the works of Satan his, and his dominion over our lives. In Colossians chapter 1, we're told in verse 12, Give thanks to the Father, who's, been, who's able us to become partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, having delivered us out of the authority of darkness, translating us into the kingdom of his love, and in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the remission. The remission, the removal of all sin. Hallelujah. Another good time to shout. Hallelujah. We have redemption. We're not getting redemption. We have redemption right now. So I am loved by the Father. I have access to the throne. It's not based on me, based on Him. I'm special in the Father's eyes. I've been redeemed by the same blood as anybody else. And God the Father has no favorites. And the devil has no jurisdiction over our lives anymore. We need to major in the majors and minor in the minors. And what is major? This is major. We've been redeemed. We've been transplanted from the kingdom of darkness, uprooted and in the kingdom of light and love and of God. And he has no jurisdiction over our lives any longer. That means he has no right to rule over our lives. He has no right to dominate our lives, whether it's sin, sickness, disease, or mental anguish, or anything else. And I'm not saying it's not going to be a fight. Why, what do you think it's called fight the good fight of faith? Because on this end, God says, all this is yours. It belongs to you. It's your redemptive right, your covenant right, your family right, etc., etc. I see you perfect in every way. And the devil's on this side saying, you don't look that good to me. Uh, no, no, you don't look that good to me at all. I remember what you did. Well, you stop right there and just say, I know what you did. And I know your end. That's not too good. Under point C, we all have the same righteousness. The same right standing before the throne of God. Once again, if our faith is going to be strong, then we need to have these foundational truths 
to become realities to us. Not just to know it intellectually, but to really know that you are the righteousness of God in Christ. It almost sounds sacrilegious, doesn't it? When you say it that way. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. Why do you think when you hear, and I'm not criticizing because they just don't know, pastors behind the pulpit, ministers, and they start their prayer out by saying, I am so unworthy to come before you and ask anything. You're God in heaven. I'm just this mere man on the earth. Wait a minute. Stop right there. No, no, no. That's not how it is. Mm -mm. Well, maybe I was unworthy. But once I made Jesus the Lord of my life, I became, praise God, an heir of God, a joint heir with Jesus. I became a son of the, or a daughter of the Most High God. I'm washed in the blood of the Lamb. And I have worthy access to the throne of God because I have representation at the Father's right hand. His name is Jesus and I can go in there just as I am and look for mercy and find grace to help in my time of need because of Him. Not because of me. Hallelujah. Man, that, doesn't, that should excite you. Glory be to God. We all have the same righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21 He made Him to be sin for us. Look what it took. Who knew no sin that we would be made the righteousness of God in Christ. Are you in Christ? Then you're the righteousness of God. So next time you hear someone say, I'm just so unworthy to... No, no. I mean, be nice about it. Speak the truth in love. But let them know, wait a minute, wait a minute. You are worthy. Jesus made you worthy. He washed you in His precious blood. And you're now the righteousness of God in Christ. You have a right to go to the throne and petition the Father for whatever promise He's made you. Look at the next one. We all have the same nature. The same divine nature. 1 Peter 1.4 tells us that we have the divine nature of God. So, I'm sorry, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4. We have... We're partakers of the divine nature. Every single one of us. And once again, let me ask you this question. Did you have something to do with that? Could you make yourself partake of the divine nature of Almighty God? No. How could you possibly pull that off? Well, I go to church three times a week. Uh, uh, uh. It's COVID. No, you're not. Back off of that one. You can't put that feather in your cap. Nope, no way. Well, I watched it online. That's okay, too. But is there anything you could do to make yourself a partaker of the divine nature of God? No. If God didn't want you to be a partaker of His divine nature, He wouldn't have offered it to us in Christ. But you see, because of Christ, we've partaken of the divine nature. Say, can you define that? Uh-uh. Can you explain that? Uh-uh. I'm just glad I have it. What, did, what, what what's the scripture say? We know what we're like right now, but it does it. In 1 John, I believe it is, chapter 3. It, we're, you know, we don't know what's going to be like when he appears. We know as he is, so are we in this world. But when he comes and appears, we have no clue what our glorified state's going to look like. You think you look good now when you look in the mirror? Wait till you <laughs> see yourself in the state of glory. Hallelujah. Won't you be glad to get that new glorified body? Oh, hallelujah, come on. The glorified body. No pain, no sorrow, no sighing, no crying, no dying, no woes. All that stuff is gone forever. And you've got this glorified body. Hallelujah. 
You probably for the first hundred years say, I look good. <laughs> Man, Lord, you did a good job on me. I look good. I had nothing to do with it, but you did. I give you all the credit. I give you all the glory, all the praise, all the honor. God wants us to rise up to a higher level of faith. And the only way to do that is by recognizing the foundation that our faith is built on. It's built on these blessed truths. It has nothing to do with any of us. It has everything to do with what Jesus did. Amen is right. And when we see ourselves as he made us, thank God. Now your words are nature and the last one is love. We've been made partakers of God's divine love nature. Oh, how important is this? You want your faith to work? Faith works by what? Faith which worketh by love. Galatians 5 and verse 6. Faith which worketh by love. You want to know why the devil wants to get us out of that arena, that realm of love? So our faith is ineffective. So it doesn't work as it should work. And so he'll do everything he possibly can to get us to a place of unforgiveness, bitterness, being critical, judgmental, and so on and so forth, to be condemned. You realize that when you have condemnation in you, that's the work of the enemy trying to condemn us when God is saying, I'm the one that liberated you from condemnation because in Christ there is no condemnation when you walk in after the Spirit, not after the flesh. Because the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus liberated you from the law of sin and death. And so therefore, sin and death does not rule or reign over your life any longer. This is what builds us up on our most holy faith. Praying in the Holy Ghost, and which I believe when we pray in the Holy Ghost, He takes these truths from God's Word and builds them into our lives, our spiritual lives, line upon line and precept upon precept, and they become realities to us. You see, you can walk to the throne of God like this here and just say, well, Lord, you know, I know I've done a lot of things crazy in my life, and you know, I'm, I'm, I really want you to help me, but I'm, I just feel so bad about myself, and you know, whatever, and, and all that. And if you can just find a little bit of mercy and, you know, get a mercy drop and just throw it my way, sprinkle that mercy on me or whatever, you can go that way. Or you can walk up and say, I know I missed it, but I, I thank God for the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses me from all unrighteousness, has made me whole. And so I have a right to be here, Father. You know why? I'm on this earth in this body yet. I want the glorified body, but it's not here yet. And so therefore, I made some mistakes along the way. So thank you for Jesus giving his mercy. And give me his grace. And I gladly walk in the light of it. What a difference, right? Boldly to the throne of grace to obtain these things. That's what he's talking about. Okay, we all have the same family rights. We all have the same family rights. Number uh, first asterisk there, it's to fellowship with the Father. Oh, I'll tell you what. If we want to give our faith a booster shot, start fellowshipping with the Father. We have a right to the throne. We have a right to go into the throne of God and just talk to our Father, just love on our Father. And Hebrews chapter 10, you know, verses 19 through 23, I believe it is, those verses, it tells us to enter in. And how to enter in? By this new and living way that he's consecrated for us, that is to say, through his flesh, the veil of his flesh. And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart, full assurance of faith. Heart sprinkled from an evil conscience, body washed in pure water of the word. Come boldly that way. Holding fast your confession of faith without wavering because faithful is he that promised. Why would you give the warning or even inspire someone to hold fast to something that you can't let go of? Why is he saying hold fast to it? Your declaration of faith. What's my declaration of faith? 
I belong here, Father. I've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. I thank you that I'm no longer guilty, condemned because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, I know I missed the mark, but I've come for mercy. You said to come. I'm coming for mercy. It's what you said to do. You said, I'll find it here. And I come for grace also. You see, grace helps me to overcome it the next time. Mercy delivers me when I fail to overcome it and I miss the mark. And so here I am. Look at Jesus. Look away from me. Aren't you glad he sees you through that rainbow uh, filter through the blood of Jesus Christ that's all over you? When he sees the rainbow in the sky, he says, I will never flood the earth ever, 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 ever again, right? When he looks at you and he sees the rainbow of the blood of Jesus Christ, because that's before the throne of God. Why do you think it's there for him to look to the filter of that blood and see you in him? And when he sees that, he goes, ha, ha, perfection, my handiwork. Remember, you're his handiwork, right? Think about it. What makes it so valuable? What makes a masterpiece so valuable? The master. The master. Whether it's a Van Gogh, whether it's a Michelangelo or whoever, Da Vinci, it's the master that makes the masterpiece so valuable. Someone else can paint it and it's not going to be as valuable. That name behind it is valuable. Well, guess who made you his masterpiece? What's his name? Jesus, if you're his masterpiece, then the master makes you valuable. You are his workmanship. Isn't that what Ephesians 2.10 says? You are his workmanship recreated in Christ Jesus under good works. So he calls you valuable. Oh, you're his, talk about piece of art. You're his masterful piece of art. That's who you are. Boy, do we got to get this deep into our souls? Renew our minds to it? Because the average person, they don't see themselves that way. You know, we see our faults, our shortcomings, our failures and all that. But you know what? That's not who we are. We're in Him. And praise God, in Him we're a masterpiece. So we can fellowship with the Father. We can be filled with the Spirit. Luke's Gospel, chapter 11, verse... We have the right to fellowship with the Father. We have a right to be filled with the Holy Ghost. What does He say in that verse? If you being evil can give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your Father... Your Heavenly Father, give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him. Why is that so important? Because it's the Holy Spirit who's in this dispensation. God the Father planned our redemption. Jesus the Son worked out our redemption. And the Holy Ghost came on the day of Pentecost to make it a reality in all of our lives. Not just some kind of law that we can't keep. But the Holy Ghost enters in like a rushing mighty wind. And takes us over and builds within us the very life of Almighty God. The life of Jesus Christ. And what does he do? Fills us. Yes, he gives us a new language. You know what? Once again, you have to, if we give the devil any credit, even Jesus gave him some credit. He's crafty. And it, basically, he said, be wise as a serpent, but harmless as a dove. He wants people to think that being, speaking in other tongues is nothing but a bunch of gibberish to no avail. So why would you even want it? And you've got so many denominational people out there, they shy away from praying in the Holy Ghost. I understand that sometimes the Pentecostals abuse it a little bit, just a little bit, you know, and all that. But that's not the thing here. The spirit of him that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you to quicken your mortal body by his spirit who dwells in you. And when the Holy Ghost comes into you, 
Yeah, you'll speak with other tongues, but I'm telling you right now, there's a whole lot more going on than just that. But when you give yourself to praying in tongues, and once again, it's more of a private devotional thing that is a public thing. You at home, in prayer meetings, whatever, and you're praying in the Holy Ghost, you are stirring up the gift of God on the inside. You are activating the miracle-working power of God on the inside. He's taking you to another level of spirituality. So why wouldn't you want it? These people on the day of Pentecost, they were all born again. But on the, on the day of Pentecost, they got filled with the Holy Ghost. He didn't say, go and wait in Jerusalem until what? You get saved? No, no, they were saved. He breathed on them already, the spirit of salvation. You're going to receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. But what the devil has done is made people think it's, it's of the devil. It's of himself. And so they don't want to do it. And so what they do, they short circuit the very power of God in their lives that could be so easily accessible. And as a result, they don't get the benefit of it. You've heard me say this many times. Maybe some of you are here and haven't. I played in bars. I played in clubs, bar mitzvahs and weddings. And I played my, in my guitar and all bands and all that and all kind of crazy places. I've dodged beer bottles and all that. I've watched drug dealerships. I mean, drugs transaction take place right on a table right in front of me with a gun. I'm like, let's get out of here as fast as we possibly can. And of all my personal experience and being in all those places, the devil, devil never let me speak in tongues. Never. Not once. I then get saved. I walk into Pleasant Valley Evangelical Church in Niles, Ohio. Pastor Lynn Evans, who was a pastor there. And I go to, it's probably the second or third time that I was there in one of the meetings, that right in the front pew. And the, the fellow just says, if you want more of God, just come on up here. I said, I want more of God. So I go up to the altar, get on my knees, and he says, what do you want? I said, I want more God. Well, are you born again? I Yes, I'm born again. Are you spirit-filled? Speaking in tongues. I said, I don't know what that is. <laughs> he said, well, that's what you want. I said, I do. He said, that's what you want. I said, okay, have at it. I'm just kneeling down there like that, as calm as I could be. And they got their hands laid on me, and they're praying over me in other tongues. And I'm just looking around. After 45 minutes, I was a hard-nosed case. 45 minutes, they said, you feel anything yet? I said, my tongue's on fire. They said, well, speak then. I said, you should have told me that 45 minutes ago. I would have done it. I got filled with the Holy Ghost on that occasion. And I'm telling you what a difference it makes in a Christian's life. It is so helpful, it's beyond even expression. Why wouldn't we want the glory? Think about this. On the day that Solomon's temple was dedicated, what took place? A sacrifice, right? Fire, burn up the sacrifice. And then what took place after that? The glory. The glory came down. They couldn't even stand to minister for by reason of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord had filled the house of God. They couldn't even stand up. That was such a profound manifestation of the Spirit of God. The glory of God manifested in that place, right? Well... There needs to be fire. There needs to be sacrifice, fire, and glory. Sacrifice, fire, and glory. Sacrifice our mentality once in a while and just say, forget about what my head thinks about speaking in other tongues. Sacrifice. I'm giving you my tongue, Lord. Let the fire fall. It burn my tongue like you wouldn't believe. And let the glory manifest. And it wasn't just speaking in tongues. It was, I believe, a teaching gift and the impartation that God had for me for, as far as my life was concerned and, and ministry would be concerned. Okay, uh, let's see. Next one. We have the right to use the name of Jesus for ourselves 
and others. We'll do one more before we close here. Time goes fast when you're having fun. To use the name of Jesus for ourselves as a family right and for others. Thank God for the name of Jesus. The only one that has a right to use it is believers. Wow. And then to receive healing and deliverance is our right. We have the same family rights. And we got a right to our home in glory. We have a right to be raptured up in, you know, when, the, when Jesus comes in clouds of glory and all that. These are all family rights. 